You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven! Three voice cracks there, because I'm exhausted. I'm sore, I'm hoarse. A lot of things to talk about on Pod Like a Raven today. I'm Antonio Barbera, excited about a win, excited about... Seeing some beautiful things from a host of Ravens players. Slightly nervous about the rest of the season based on some disastrous things that happens on with other players and other, other, other situations. But we will talk about all of it. And I want to bring in my co-hosts before I get too excited here. Tim Horsey, first of all. Tim, how are you? How, how tired? Hungover? Uh, half dead? How are you? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the word. You kind of nailed it. I am exhausted. And... We record, we're recording this the day after. We're recording this on Tuesday after a Monday night victory for the Ravens. I took off work in anticipation of this, and I am still exhausted. I, I've, just, I, but I've done nothing but sit on the couch and play PlayStation, and still I am exhausted uh, because that was probably, I mean, for regular season, the most emotionally draining Ravens game I've ever witnessed. But you know what? A win's a win, so I am doing fantastic. Taking the day off is, seems like the smart 
healthy thing to do. You're able to, you know, relax a little bit, unwind, de-stress, maybe sleep in a little bit. That was a good idea. Well, I stayed up till three in the morning because I was so (laughs) wired. So I kind of had to sleep in just a bit. Joining us on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how are you doing, man? Oh, similar to Tim. That was a very draining game. Uh, A lot of highs, a lot of lows in a very short amount of time. Uh, But... I think I'm with Tim. I think it's one of, you know, the most, certainly the most dramatic uh, storyline filled Ravens games we've had in quite a while. Um, you know, maybe it's since the last Browns, the win and in in 2018, like maybe that's, this felt like the biggest regular season game, certainly since then. So yeah, it, it took a lot out of me. I, uh, I do have to work today, but I was uh, lucky enough. Uh, to not have to work last night during all that because I was an emotional wreck just sitting here in my room alone. I turned down uh, watching it with uh, some friends because I knew how wrecked these games make me. So, yeah, it was a roller coaster of emotions that we're going to get into, I'm sure, in a moment here. (laughs) In one of the strangest years of all time, one of the weirdest NFL seasons in a long time, in the Ravens' biggest game of the year, one of the most bizarre, gut-wrenching, seemed like the game was over three different times for both teams, one of the most bizarre, awesome NFL games and endings that I've seen in a long time. Ravens coming out on top 47-42 to in uh, what Jace, I think, either retweeted or liked. A scoregami, a, a never-before-seen NFL score at 47-42. to in a game where so many things happened that we can't talk about everything, we can't go through every drive because all of them ended in rushing touchdowns, but we will try to go over some of the bigger points here, starting with Lamar, and we have to start here. I mean, a lot of runs to start the game, potential runs to end the game, a really good game from him overall. The injury, he comes out of the locker room. It's a Willis Reed game for Lamar. Uh, who knows how long he's going to be out. All these question marks. And in the biggest drive, really, of the NFL season for the Ravens, Lamar is in the locker room and Trace McSorley is is taking snaps. But a drive that ends with Lamar running out onto the field at a perfectly timed two-minute warning, just to add everything, add another thing on top of this whole mess. The two-minute warning... Lamar comes running it back out into the field on a fourth and five and gets a, um, I can't say game-winning touchdown, but one of the bigger, bigger, biggest, bigger plays of the game. So much here, guys, to unpack, but starting with Lamar, what did you see from him this Monday night? Uh, this is where he showed everybody why he was the MVP last year. The Lamar we've been waiting for for the entire season came out with a vengeance. The only thing that was stopping Lamar on Monday night were his receivers dropping balls and his cleats. That was about it. I mean, in the first half, obviously, everybody knows they were slipping all over the place. Torrey Smith, former Raven, um, better than a random Raven, I would say, but a former Raven, mentioned that you can't wear those those really big studs because you'll just be stuck to the ground. That's why Lamar was sticking with those other cleats, what have you. But again, outside of that, he was un stoppable taking those first downs when he needed them on the ground um making guys look foolish on the defensive end sliding all over the place it was so fun to watch uh and was really really reminiscent of what we expect 
from Lamar Jackson at quarterback. What we expect, good quarterback play, dynamic playmaking ability uh, from number eight. So, yeah, just overall, I mean, the guy's a cheat code, and he showed it again last night, or on Monday night, excuse me. Well, I think he only had, I believe, it was three completions in the first half. Uh, but one of them was just completely bonkers. You know, rewatching the game uh, this afternoon as we record, he runs into like three of his own guys, rolls right, looks like he's throwing it out of bounds. <laughs> and then Mark Andrews just has it. Uh, and you, you said it, Tim, it, his, his playmaking puts them up, you know, 21-14 at the half when like, and we'll get into the defense. Maybe they didn't deserve to, to necessarily be up. Um, but then uh, the second half, you know, they did the thing uh, we have so often failed to do. And Tim, you've harped on this. Scored on both sides of the half. Uh, score right before halftime. Get the ball back. Score again. And I thought we were, the Ravens were sitting pretty. Uh and then this is like really where the drama begins, because <laughs> you know the the Browns immediately score, go down and score a recurring theme in this game. Uh, but then a Ty Bowser sighting, a, a, an almost pick six. I thought, all right, Ravens are in great shape once again, <laughs> no problems here. And this is when Lamar Ant exits the game with cramps. Uh, Allegedly. <laughs> this is what he says. It's what he maintains. He maintains that he, uh, you know, is was not pulling a Paul Pierce uh, when he shuffled off gingerly to the locker room uh, to disappear for the bulk of the fourth quarter. <laughs> but then, like you said, like a phoenix reemerges when the Ravens absolutely need it most when they have fully blown the game, it seems, that are suddenly down by one point thanks to some analytics ball that put the Browns up by uh, one by them going for two. It was very surreal. Uh, I thought everything was going, you know, defense aside, I thought it was going so well for the Ravens. And then for the Lamar to just have to leave the game, it was just like... It seemed, I don't want to, you never want to accuse a team of quitting, but certainly the defensive side seemed like, for whatever reason, the second Lamar left the game, they just unraveled completely on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't know if that's because, you know, the Ravens had a prompt three and out, what it was, but I don't know. Do we have takes on Crampgate, uh, pulling a Paul Pierce, etc.? It was very strange. You, I, you know, I can't ever say... It just for this moment, the Ravens' biggest game of the season, the biggest quarter of the season, your season's on the line, and your quarterback just disappears with cramps, and then literally comes back the moment you need him most. It really was like a movie almost. Yeah, I mean we have we have so much to talk about in this game, so I don't want to spend too much time on Crampgate, but you've <laughs> you've seen the video, and as I told the text group, the infamous text group during the game. We've all shuffled like that, and most of us not nearly as athletically as Mr. Jackson did going into the locker room. We've all done it. I, they can deny all they want, and maybe it's just me wanting to believe that this game will ever fo- for, ev- will go down excuse me, in history as the poop game, but <laughs> I, that's what I choose to believe. And maybe it's just me wanting it, and that's actually not what happened. I should believe the team and what they say. I'm going to believe that, you know, he had to go pray to the porcelain god. It was an incredible 20 minutes for memes, at the very least. <laughs> I, look, I mean, I, I made the joke in the intro to this episode. Uh, however, I actually will, well, I will defend to the death that it's cramps. 
mostly because I want it to be cramps, but also because I, it, to me, it's just like jokes aside with it still being possible that it was, uh, you know, the, the number twos situation, but a guy who was on the COVID list was symptomatic all of like 10 days ago, seemingly, or two, maybe two weeks ago, not being in football shape uh, and being exhausted and drained in a game that he was running all over the field, specifically in the first half uh, and really in, early into the third quarter, that that would leave a guy with cramps uh, three quarters of the way through a, an NFL football game. But the timing of how quickly he came out the second McSorley got hurt certainly makes it a bit strange that all of a sudden he was, you know, the cramps were gone and he was absolutely ready to, to come back out on there on the field. But as for just back to Lamar's on the field performance, um, yeah, the slipping thing was an issue. And yet even with the slipping, he was still able to outrun multiple Browns defenders, turn the corner, split the, like split the gap of two defenders. He was absolutely awesome in the first half. And then in the second half, as, the lead dwindled, and as they became a team that was chasing the Browns instead of comfortably running on every play, he pulled out a couple of throws that, that we hadn't seen in the first half that maybe we hadn't seen from him ever uh, in, in certain circumstances late in the game where a lot of people had very little faith in him leading a team from behind, um, and he was able to do it once for the touchdown and then in a tie game, um, for the, the game-winning field goal drive. So amazing stuff from Lamar. He did miss two very wide-open deep throws that we all talked about. I believe that was like middle third quarter, maybe. So just quickly on that, because you're dead right, Antonio. And he stepped up and he made plays when he had to make plays. I mean, unstoppable all night in the beginning. And then when it got tense and when things were starting to get a little tighter, if you want to do, do the cramp memes the entire time, he made the plays when he had to. But... You lose faith in that a little bit because up 28-21, he misses two deep balls, one to Snead and then one to Andrews, which the Andrews one is a touchdown uh, automatically. And he was wide open. Lamar missed him. The touch throw is not something that he has mastered yet. And it's kind of that, you know, we talked about it last week. One of those things that's just missing that would make him unstoppable. But to come back and redeem himself after that, after, you know, making plays with his legs all night and then making plays with his arm after those two misses was just so encouraging to see. Well, and on those plays, I, uh, you know, to the, it was actually a cramp theory. He did say it was around that time is when he says, Lamar says he started cramping up. So it's possible that impacted it, but I agree with you. We have seen him miss in those scenarios. Uh, a few times and if he can get that down but I mean I was so impressed when he came back out of the locker room you know kind of cold you know you haven't played in like nearly a quarter at that point and he uh you know I the fourth down play to Hollywood was so incredible because you know he it looked <laughs> we have it in our show notes here it looked like he could have done four different things with it and I thought for sure he was just going to run for the first down uh because um He's been really good on play action this year. He's was entered this game completing something like 70% of his passes on play action. It's kind of inexplicable. They don't run it more because of how, you know, he's good at throwing on the run and also just good at running. So people will, we, we saw it both Browns. The reason Hollywood was so wide open is both Browns defenders stepped up to try to stop a Lamar run. And he just lofted it over top. Looked like he had an underneath throw. He could have done too, but it got the big play. Um, it was just very exciting. I mean, Lamar nearly had as many passing yards in the final two minutes as he did 
the entire rest of the game. Uh, so, like you guys said, just to see him step up in that scenario, especially, you know, kind of as derided as he's been in these big game pass, passing scenarios by people, I think unfairly, but um, it was just really nice to see. And it's always, I think, you know, great to beat the Browns in dramatic fashion, especially when their quarterback is Baker Mayfield, who was drafted ahead of Lamar. I loved it. So I was just really impressed with Lamar um, in both halves in all phases, really. I thought, I thought this was honestly one of the best games of his career. I'd say I want to read off the drives in the second half to f- just illustrate how bananas this game ended up being. It was touchdown, touchdown, punt, interception, touchdown, touchdown, punt, then three touchdowns in a row, a field goal and a safety to end the score at 47-42, and it became one of those games where it seemed like whoever got the ball last was going to score. At a certain point, there was a very specific moment in this game, and the one punt, I should say, in between all those touchdowns late in the game, was a Trace McSorley drive that ended in a punt. If Lamar's on the field, it's possible that is also a touchdown, and the game just ends with six straight touchdown drives. So it just, at that point, it felt like whoever got the ball last if the score was with, you know, if it was tied or, or within one score, whoever got the ball last was going to end up winning. And I, I want to jump in on this Browns scoring the touchdown very easily, leaving a minute left on the clock, and how you guys felt at that point. I mean, you know, at this point where everybody's on life support in terms of a Ravens fan at that point in the game, but confidence in how the Ravens had a minute, it was like a minute and eight seconds left. I think they had one timeout. Um, thoughts on where you were at that particular moment in time with the with the Tevin Tucker in the back pocket. I mean, what do you think? I'm the ultimate pessimist, and I immediately was... I was jubilant, laughing in Baker's face, to completely downtrodden, to how did Hollywood catch that? And we're obviously going to get to him a little later in this. To, oh my God, they just let them walk down the field again. Like, I couldn't take it. I, I was... <laughs> I was in a glass case of emotion, as Ron Burgundy says. <laughs> and admittedly, they take the field again. And I almost, just for the sake of my own sanity, didn't want myself to believe. And then they started putting some balls down the field, down the field. Uh, and then the clock management, which is something Lamar is secretly, or not, I shouldn't say secretly, but it's not something that people talk about. Talk about. He's very good at clock management. You see him constantly wind the clock down to five the play clock to five four three two one and with Flacco you'd be like get the playoff but with Lamar everything seems under control and then when Tucker goes out there I will admit I was pretty dang confident that 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 man (laughs) was gonna bang that thing through and he did I so it's weird I was actually I mean I was distraught at how quick the Browns (laughs) scored but that four plays solace Four plays, 75 yards, 47 seconds. The Ravens scored just uh, on the first play after the two-minute warning. Like we said, a very well-timed two-minute warning for the Ravens to get Lamar back. The Browns needed four plays to go 75 yards to score. That is atrocious, and we'll get more into the defense as a whole in a minute. But but I was confident, because like you said, it was at that point you were just like, all right, this game's off the rails. Uh... And the Browns' defense, obviously, they certainly didn't absolve themselves in this game because at this point, the Ravens had already scored a season-high 42 points when they get the ball back. So, everything aside, I actually was f- fairly confident 
I guess that they could get in position. It certainly helps that you're like, even on a touchback, you just say to yourself, the Ravens need to gain 30 yards and they can realistically attempt a Justin Tucker field goal. That always helps. Um, and yeah, to Tim's point, once Tucker, once they got in position, I felt kind of confident once they got that completion to Sneed on the final series. But when they hit Andrews for the, the, the extra follow-up, especially how they did that with the time too, they didn't, because uh, we saw against the Pittsburgh Steelers with a backup quarterback, like Tim had said, Lamar, good at the clock. Uh, we saw an abject disaster of clock management in the game against the Steelers on the goal line there a few weeks ago. This was the opposite. This was very good clock management. They got that another play to Andrews, clocked it. Um, and, uh, yeah, once Tucker got out there, I was pretty confident. I could think, of, I think that Saints extra point is the only time I've ever felt left down, uh, or let down rather by him, my, his entire career. It's like eight seasons now. And that was like such an anomaly that I, like you waved it off completely at the time. Uh, yeah, he's the greatest kicker of all time, and I don't want to, we've probably said this on the show between last year and this year, but I don't want to hear any arguments about it. He is consistently clutch. I mean, he drilled a 55-yard field goal like it was a, like a walk in the park. Like, he just like, and he said after the game, he was like, he was like, oh, it's, you know, see ball, kick ball, and you're like, well, I guess that's why you're so good. You're clearly not thinking too hard about things, um, but uh yeah, he's the it, Tucker's the best. I was I was really impressed with the Ravens on that final drive with Lamar and the clock management. Um, and um, if there's any saving grace, it was that the defense was so bad they got the Ravens plenty of time over a minute to uh, make this final <laughs> drive happen. So I thought it was really obviously great late game execution by the offense, uh, but the defense certainly had me uh, distraught on a few occasions in this one. On those end-of-game drives, the first play is so, so important. If you can get 10 yards, 12 yards of completion on first down, and then you have the hurry-up going, the defense is on their heels, it just seems like you have such a better chance of scoring than if you have like an incomplete on first down, the defense switches, they're going to substitute who they want to substitute for the second down play. And they got 14 yards on first down to Andrews, and then he looked for him repeatedly on the rest of that drive, as you do, as you should, with a safety blanket uh, tight end, and, and Andrews made a lot of catches, as does, as did Sneed. He had a nice catch uh, on one of the McSorley drives as well. He he impressed me in uh, small bursts. Um, Dobbins impressed me on the ground with a lot of plays, but specifically the two-point conversion that I challenge... I don't challenge, I... I Welcome all of you to rewatch the highlight of the two-point conversion because the play does not really work. There are two Browns defenders who are all over the play reading uh, Dobbins um, like a come-across-the-backfield pre-snap and then run like a jet sweep to your running back, which is an interesting call. But it ends up being one-on-one Dobbins versus a Browns defender, and they just meet in the hole hard. You can hear both two announcers in the booth both go like, oof at the contact and Dobbins ends up two yards like ahead and into the end zone for for a really crucial two point two points there to to um to at that point tie the game right yeah um or no excuse me go up seven at that point the two-point conversion was to go up seven a guy who impressed me in certain areas and did not impress me in other areas and we got to talk about him it's it's Marquise Hollywood Brown in one of the most bizarre NFL 
appearances for one player with drops, 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 and then maybe the biggest catch of the game. Thoughts on, on Hollywood's 60 minutes in Cleveland? We have a segment we do from time to time on the show called uh, What's Bothering Jace. And his drop on third down on the Trace McSorley drive with the Ravens up, I believe they're up six at this point, is one of the most inexcusable drops I've ever seen in an NFL game. You cannot go out and demand the ball weeks ago and then drop that pass. That it was a perfect pass. Trace McSorley is an imperfect quarterback with, you know, not the greatest arm in the world. And I really do feel bad for him. He kind of, you know, he gets thrown into a really tough situation. McSorley injures his knee, which kind of sets the stage for Lamar's dramatics. But really unfortunate for him. But he ran a, a really great throw there. It was outside. Would have been a first down right on the hands where no one else can catch it. And your first round pick just drops the ball. Just straight up did not catch that ball. It was inexcusable. And it was frankly really disappointing for, you know, like we said, a player who has demanded the ball in re- like weeks ago. And then for him to go do that in an absolutely crucial moment in the game uh, was just really, really unfortunate to see. And it helped, obviously, they punted and the Browns immediately scored um, <laughs> to, to go up one uh, on that ensuing drive. Um, so it, it was really, I was just really disappointed in that. But like you said, uh, we're not doing a pure good, the bad, the ugly this week, but... I can't put him in the ugly column because he did. That might've been the best play of his career on the, on the Mars, um, the, the 44 yard touchdown to uh, take the lead again. Um, it was just really good awareness by him, uh, you know, to see like the defenders are leaving him nice zip up the field. So I can't fully crush him, but for that one, for that one drop alone, and he had other balls that hit his hands in this game that he did not come up with. That would have been harder catches but specifically for me, the McSorley one, that is just an inexcusable drop for a guy who wants to be a number one receiver. You can't have that happen. Well, here's here's the hard truth then, Hollywood. You're not a number one receiver. Yeah. He's just not. He's a turn and burn speedster that can you hope makes the big play. He is the new Tory Smith uh, for this Ravens offense, and they need another guy. Uh, Nate Tice from the athletic does the athletic football show podcast with robert mays if you're a super nerd like the three of us i highly recommend you listen to it uh nate spent a lot of the time talking about how the browns coverage guys were just basically they knew exactly what greg roman was doing on passing plays because the the scheme is like high school level so that's fun it's a thing we can get into the next time the ravens lose because roman can't call a good game but he also was talking about um hollywood and making the comparison of, all right, this guy's a number two. They need someone like a Chris Godwin from Tampa whose contract is up. And, like, that type of guy. Jace, I can't even describe without, because this is a family show, what Jace just did with his mouth when I said Chris Godwin to the Ravens. (laughs) Hollywood is, I think, boomer bust. And, again, we talked about it with with the Dallas game. Nobody, nobody wants to, or no right minded person, I should say, wants to just bash their own team over and over again. Like, what's the point of watching the games if you're going to do that? But he is quickly, quickly falling into that Matthew Judon territory for me where all of the bad is so bad and so glaring 
that it doesn't make up for or bad and or just not showing up, I should say, if you want to categorize that in bad as well. The good doesn't make up for it. In this game, it obviously did. And we all are celebrating and this is a blemish that hopefully can get overlooked. You know, the coaches can go, hey, we won. You made one of the biggest plays at the end. Get over the drops. But the drops have been so consistent this year, especially after the whole calling for the ball thing that happened early in the season that I I wonder how much of it is the yips and I wonder how much of it is an actual problem that we need to worry about and the, the, the thing that you know you can call me pessimistic if you want I think it's a problem that's going to plague him throughout his entire career and because of that the Ravens and the, we'll talk about this when the offseason comes hopefully it's not for a couple months now but the Ravens need to, and we've said this since 1996, I think, need to invest in a top-tier number one guy because they thought they had it in Hollywood, and, you know, admittedly, I think they missed. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely in his head. I mean, I, Tim, you didn't exactly, I, I don't think you exactly said this, but I don't think it's an abilities issue. I do think he has, I think he's aware, as aware of this as we are, that he called out, wanting the ball more and now has dropped a few balls in recent weeks. And I, and this did, was not the first time in this game against the Browns. We've seen it the, two, the week before that. We saw it the week before that. I think it's in his head that can go away over time. I mean, yeah, you don't, ha- you don't, some people never get rid of the yips, but if you keep, if you make a few catches, maybe after that play, maybe he, you know, the confidence is back after catching a, uh, sort of game winning touchdown. Um, and we'll have to see how it goes. I agree with you 100%. I would love a wide receiver that can catch a ball through contact. That that would be nice. A guy that can go get it when he's even when he's not necessarily open. But um, I'm holding out hope for Hollywood, not as a number one guy, but as a guy that can stop pissing Jace off uh, and, and, <laughs> and bringing on rants, justified rants on Pod Like a Raven. All right, we will talk about the defense in a second. But I, I just want to talk about one other little thing that happened on the offensive side. And it's, I want to go through that final drive one last time just because of the number of things that happened in it. Trace McSorley, considering his limitations, considering the position he was put in, I think did okay, uh, specifically on that final drive. Um completes a ball has a few running plays that are that are successful um he like knows how to run the offense which this is a third stringer who's gotten extremely limited reps throughout the season has been injured was on the COVID list jk dobbins fumbles at a certain point and uh it's not a fumble where like the ball falls under him and he falls back on top of it like the ball was gone ball was out uh and bradley bozeman dove for it and not only got the ball back but gained four yards in the process (laughs) setting up a an easier short down. Um, this McSorley injury happening at the two minute warning is something that makes me believe in football gods uh, and having the absolute longest possible timeout for Lamar Jackson to have time to get out of the locker room, get a helmet, get onto the field and have a play called on fourth down was awesome. On fourth and five, I audibly said run. Jace, as, as you mentioned a little earlier in the episode, where it looked like he had space to get the first down. I think I literally yelled run, uh, but he kept his head up, Metaf- metaphorically and literally, and found Marquise Brown 
for a play that I hope Marquise just rem- commits to memory and uh, and uses that to, to fuel the rest of his NFL career. But we can talk about now some of the not-so-great stuff that happened in this game, and just about all of them happened on the defensive side. They did not stop the run. They could not cover. They could not rush the passer. And they had numerous injuries. Guys, what the heck is going on with this defense they have not been this bad all season. Is this a Browns thing? Is this a the defense is falling apart thing? Can any of it be fixed, or or do the Ravens need to outscore teams for the rest of the season? Well, there's a lot of things here. First of all, and just so we can get it out of the way and we can stop mentioning it, the Browns are a good team. I think that's officially official now. Guess what? Congrats, Cleveland. You have a good team. You still lost. Uh, great game. You still lost, and you lost. But you're a good you're a good team, and. This Ravens-Browns rivalry is finally going to become a rivalry now. Now, I still, just because the Steelers have this mental hold over Cleveland, I think the Steelers are still going to just beat them 75 times out of 76 times for the next billion years. But this Ravens-Browns thing, I think, is going to be increasingly annoying uh, as the years go go down because I think they found the right guy in Stefanski. Obviously, the running backs are good. And then who knows with Baker Mayfield. If he can do what he did last night, then he'll be serviceable enough. Um, Although he did make the one key play in a loss, the game that they lost. Uh, The the defense, man. What happened to that Pittsburgh game? You know, you talk about, was this just Cleveland? Was that just Pittsburgh's offense being bad? Where this team, this COVID-riddled Ravens defense showed up and kept them in that game and made plays when they had to? The... And I know they got a turnover in this game, and it was a big moment. But the lack of a killer instinct on third down, on fourth down, when a game is, you know, 14 points. The key for this Ravens team last year, yeah, the offense was amazing, and they could control the clock and run the ball, but the defense would get off the field when they needed to as well. That just isn't happening this year. Uh, Wink, stop blitzing because it's not working. There, there's no you can't get to the quarterback and you're that all that does is make timing routes easier make guys more wide open for an injury riddled secondary that frankly by the way jimmy smith's out again that's fun that can't cover outside of marlon humphrey and sometimes marcus peters as much as i love marcus peters and i will say if you didn't see this peters went off injured Neither Harbaugh nor the training staff knew that he was coming back out on the field because that guy is an absolute dog, and he wanted to be out there and fight for his team. I respect the hell out of that. But giving up nearly, what was it, nearly 500 yards of offense, yeah, 493 total yards to the Cleveland Browns in a game where after you make the, the Tyus Bowser play and the Ravens go up 14 should be over was frankly embarrassing. It was embarrassing on all levels of that, uh, that defense. I think for me, that's what was so frustrating in this game because, uh, you know, the Lamar things aside, I think if Lamar never goes out, uh, I probably never gets as close. Cause I think they probably score on one of the McSorley drives the way Lamar was playing. But that being said, I was still feeling pretty good that you, you mentioned after the Bowser pick, you know, they score out of the half. You would have liked to stop at uh 24 14 because like you said that's really when you can really put the locks on it and put the game away but they gave up a td but then they get the the bowser pick nearly pick six which was a very great play by him and he's actually played pretty decently in spurts this season but so it's 34 20 
that should even without Lamar Jackson, the way they were running the ball, that should have been game. Like you need one defensive stop basically to win that game, and they didn't do it twice in a row. And uh, and then just the speed with which they gave up that final touchdown. That was just they had no answers. I mean, seventy-five yards on four plays. That's that's as you said, it's embarrassing. And I don't know. Like you said, this team has been decimated by injuries. Clearly, Clarence Campbell's still not 100%. Uh, Brandon Williams still kind of working his way back. Um, but at a certain point, too, and the defense, obviously the second Jimmy Smith went out, Baker just started targeting De- uh, Devontae Harris repeatedly over and over and over again. They just kept throwing at Harris. Um, but to that point... Is it a wink problem? Because the adjustments just aren't there. You know, we they are decimated, but that's when coaching comes in, right? You have to come up with some type of answer. And they, they've failed to do that so much this season in the face of these injuries. They're, the Ravens are now down to 15th in total defense, 16th against the pass, 13th against the run. You know, Mayfield had 343 yards, and they gave up 138 on the ground. Uh, yesterday, they only had five QB hits, no sacks once again, and only 1.5 tackles for loss. I, they did nothing well in this game. It's like, and I don't know what this defense does well. And that's my concern, I guess. And why I almost won. I don't think they'll make a coaching change. The people seem to like wink, but you have to have answers for some of these things, right? The injuries, you can't control injuries, but you have to try to mitigate them. Like we've seen, you know, they're not a great team, but I think we've seen a team like the 49ers absolve themselves pretty well in the face of a lot of injuries this season through good coaching with uh, Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan. And the Ravens on the defense, they've had a lot of injuries, but the, the it's just, you said the Browns are good. They are a good team. They're the best offense, certainly, they're going to face the rest of the season. But that was still a very poor showing, and I think just super concerning for... The, the long-term future, I guess, of the Ravens. Right. And, I mean, as we get into it, like you said, and we'll talk about our next opponent later in the show, bit of a cakewalk uh, the rest of the way for Baltimore. But, and Antonio, I think I'm, I'm probably echoing you here because I think you've mentioned this on a previous episode. I don't care about pressure numbers. Maybe it was Jace who said this. I want sacks. I want the quarterback on the ground. The Ravens are averaging two sacks per game and a lot of those came I think against the Eagles they had like six and then they had another big game uh earlier in the season which I can't remember Yeah, they blew up uh Burrow yes thank you and the Bengals who are playing behind the three blind mics uh, was Joe Burrow was taking snaps from so this and look we love wink I love blitzing we've talked about on the show all the time I love the mullet I love the sunglasses the whole look it's great the players clearly love him too like all of this stuff matters but the lack of adjustments from that defense when we talked about it last week too when it's three-step drop timing routes bang 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 and you know the guys aren't getting to the quarterback Yannick Ngakwe anytime you want to show up bud would be fantastic uh because we need something from either you or Judon by the way have to say Roughing the passer penalty on Judon was absolute BS the guys allowed to hit the quarterback in you know the exact I don't know, centimeter where he's allowed to hit him, and then they still call the 15-yard penalty, which was just an absolute joke. But even even outside of that, he wasn't getting to the quarterback. There was no tackles for loss, like you said. I thought they did a decent do- job on Chubb 
overall, I think Chubb had 80-some yards. Uh, looking up here, 82 yards. Green Hunt, another 33. Baker, 23. But it's these key moments. You know, I, we're, I'm going back and looking at the stats for this game, and I could have sworn that the Browns' third and fourth down conversion would have been like 80%. It ended <laughs> up only being 50. They were 7 for 14 on third and fourth down, 2 for 2 on fourth down, 5 for 12 on third. But it was always the ones where it was like, all right, now they can get off the field, you know? Or it was a penalty. So you're like, all right, first and 15, now you guys can get off the field. Couldn't get off the field. The, the screen passes, which they finally figured out in the second half. But, oh, you guys are sending seven? Kevin Stefanski has half a brain for NFL offenses. I'm going to throw a screen over your blitz and gain another 15 yards. It's, it's stuff like that that is going to kill this team. And by the way, I know the expectations have been lowered from the, from the start of the season. Injuries are clearly a problem. You still have to go through Kansas City. You still have to go through Buffalo, who are an incredible offense with Stephon Diggs, Hia Turp, and Josh Allen. These are teams you're going to have to stop if you want to achieve your ultimate goal. And this defense, even with some of the great players they have, Marlon Humphrey, now eight forced fumbles this season, leads the league just doesn't have that right now. And it, it is really concerning for a team that has to win out too. Like these are still NFL teams you have to play. And I now have no faith on the defensive side of the ball. When most of the season we've been sitting here saying that's when I have the most faith is when the Ravens are on defense. Yeah. Who would have thought Jimmy Smith was such a crucial member of the Ravens defense because he ends up being, he's the like, it's he's not the superstar. But he's the, and there's an expression here, and I can't remember what it is, but, I mean, he's like the last, uh, like, cork in the dam that if you remove Jimmy Smith, then just the avalanche of water starts flooding, flowing where it's not supposed to. And the announcers touched on this a little bit during the game, is that when the blitzing wasn't working for the Ravens so well, what was working better was man-to-man. They were playing tight, man-to-man compared to the zone, which was a disaster. So they're just doing one, you know, one man-to-man on the outside with the receivers and the slot on the outside, and then getting killed on the zones. But then Jimmy Smith gets hurt, and you can't really play man-to-man, because when they did, as you guys mentioned, they were just picking on Devontae Harris over and over and over again. Even when the receivers were covered, on the fourth and, or not on the fourth, when they gained 30 yards on the first play the Browns did of their game-tying touchdown drive, the infamous four-play drive. The first (laughs) down play, I think, was a 30-yard gain. Devonta Harris was right there. He was right on the defender and just was late getting his hand to knock the ball away. It was painful to look at because if if you can't do that, then what are you going to do, really, with this defense, with with the number of injuries, and even with the players on the field who are still recovering from injuries on the defensive line? So... I mean, J- Jimmy, try to come back soon, I guess, for, for you know, the whole two-thirds of a game that you play every week. <laughs> um, because he ends up, he's like the last uh, just NFL-level talent that the Ravens have as a, as a reserve-type player. And after that, it's all like practice squad or guys that wouldn't be on a roster in other situations. So I don't know how this gets fixed. I just hope Calais Campbell still has room to get healthier that would help you know if one of your in theory top pass rushers uh gets back up to 100 percent, which it seems like he is not still 
Brandon Williams played okay, but in theory, he's coming off of COVID. Like, is he still at 80%? Does he still have room to improve? So it would be great if those guys could get better on these softer games, if some players can get healthy, because I just, I don't know what Wink can do to change considering the talent that he has on the field and, and the health at this point. Well, one, he can stop blitzing and figure something out. I mean, Greasy on Monday night is figuring out, like, Greasy and Lewis Riddick are both saying every time the Ravens are in man, they're actually doing okay. As soon as they drop into any sort of zone blitz, Baker's picking them apart. So it's if the announcers and look, I, I enjoy Lewis Riddick a lot. I thought Gre- I think Greasy's okay. Um, listening to him call games, I don't think he's the best. I don't think he's the worst. But when they're picking that stuff out, it's kind of like all right, you know, I, I know there's a little minutia that us laymen watching the game are never going to figure out, but it just seemed a little too obvious. And the other thing, too, with the defense, and I know we have to move on, they got to start. I mean, the thing that's got to happen is they're going to have to start forcing turnovers. Um, it was such a big part of this team early in the year and last year as well. And I know they got the pick from Bowser, but Tyus Bowser is tied with Marcus Peters for the lead or for the team lead, excuse me, in interceptions. They both have three. Um, Marlon Humphrey, eight force fumbles, but I feel like the last, what, four haven't been recovered by the offense or the defense, excuse me. They've either gone out of bounds or been re-recovered by the offense. Those balls just have to start bouncing this team's way because when you're not a 2000 Ravens level defense or a, you know, Pittsburgh defense this year, although we'll talk about them, you have to force turnovers to change games. So that just has to start happening. That ties in just with, to me with like making the big plays in the big moments. Um, because in this game alone, the Ravens did force seven fumbles and managed to recover none of them, which is seven fumbles. Well, like seven. four. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Four were on the last play of the game when there was well, okay. no recovering yeah. to be done, really. But well, still, Jace, still three that they could. They were gotten. credited with seven. But by the yeah. way, great play by Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey on that final play, who was finally like, "I'm tired of this," and beeline towards the ball to knock it out to get his the next forced fumble for him. Yeah, that was a just comical ending to the game where I was like kind of concerned how long the play was going on, but the Browns kept going backwards. So I was like, well, I'm not too concerned yet because <laughs> they're not going forwards. Uh, it was the, it was a, a, a fitting ending for as bizarre a game as it was. <laughs> All right, guys, last minute here as we close up on this game. I'm going to ask one question and you guys can answer with one word. You can answer with a paragraph. It's up to you. How do you feel about the team overall after this game compared to before this game? Do you think that the team, like, do you feel better about this team? Do you feel worse about this team? Or do you sort of feel that things evened out and you feel the same? Outside of all of the last 15 to 20 minutes, I feel so much better about this team because they have their MVP back. Um, If he's playing that way, and we saw it against Cleveland, too. You know, it almost seemed like earlier in the season it was, I am a pocket passer. And he wasn't getting those five to seven yards when they need them to just move the chains and continuing these drives. Look, I love Mark Ingram. The guy's not going to be on the team next year. Like, that's just the long and short of it. They found their running back duo in J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. And, you know, optimistically... You would like to think that, I'm going to say it, those seven fumbles, a couple of them are going to start getting recovered by the Ravens in these coming weeks. So you know what? If this was the game they had to have, it is a win-out, win-or-go-home type of situation. 
Lamar said just as much before the game. After the game, he said, quote, right now, I'm hungry. I am jacked for this Ravens team again. And you know what? Look out. Look out come playoff time. Because I think that if this team starts clicking, if this offense is clicking the way it was clicking last night and the defense steps it up just a little bit, nobody wants to face Baltimore uh, come playoff time. I have pretty much the same thoughts as Tim. I feel better about the team, and it's because of Lamar Jackson. So, yes, despite the defensive concerns I have, uh, I think Lamar, two weeks in a row now, is running the ball really well. We saw the passing side last night. I'm feeling good. This was, the, you know, on paper, the hardest game the Ravens faced the entire rest of the season. Um, and uh, it, I think it gave – I think it has to give the team a lot of confidence moving forward. So, um you know, have to avoid the trap game, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, yeah, I feel a lot better about the Ravens overall. I will agree with both of you. I think this Ravens team won 14 games last year because after they won some of those early games, they got some swagger, and they used that to carry them throughout the season. This is that game that is going to get swagger back to so many guys on this team who needed just a little bit of it between... Lamar between Hollywood, Justin Tucker, just proven that he's the man, the absolute man. Um, and then, boy, defense, we'll just give you guys uh, a pass this week, and we'll see what you can do uh, the, the next few weeks as you get healthier. But, yeah, I'd say I feel better as well. And the Ravens now in prime position for a playoff spot. And with that, we're going to turn to the NFL recap, and we're going to take a little look at the uh, the playoff races in the AFC and NFC Let's start with uh, with the AFC. We've been talking about the Ravens. Let's talk about the conference that they play in. Bills, winners in a tough game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are now ten and three. Pittsburgh eleven and two. Tennessee nine and four, and then Kansas City twelve and one. Those are your top four division teams right now. Miami eight and five. Cleveland nine and four. Baltimore eight and five. Indianapolis nine and four. And then the Las Vegas Raiders at 7-6, and six, technically still in the hunt. Still a lot of teams there. You'll notice I didn't say the New England Patriots because they lost, so they are officially, I would like to say. I don't think it's actually official, but unofficially, officially out of consideration as they are now a losing team again at 6-7. and seven. Still don't know how we lost to that team, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Patriots aside, there are still quite a few teams bottlenecked for those three postseason spots. What do you guys think of how the AFC playoff picture is shaping up? I'll just go quickly here because I, I know Jace is always more detailed with this stuff, and I'm just basically pure emotion. Uh, the Steelers are frauds. They're frauds. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger is old. Guess what? This division now belongs to Lamar Jackson, sort of Baker Mayfield, and Joe Burrow whenever he comes back. It, time, to, time to trade for Sam Darnold, Pittsburgh, because you've got to figure something else out. The receivers are still Ouch. sorry. The receivers still can't figure out how to catch a ball. Like we talk about Hollywood's drops, but they've got some issues too. And uh, yeah, I mean Juju's more concerned about his TikTok dances before before the game, and then they just get wiped by the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think the Bills are probably the team to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs, but my God, the Kansas City Chiefs. I know it was another, and we'll talk about it in the gambling. They actually didn't cover. They only won by six. But Mahomes throws three interceptions, takes a 30-yard sack, which is the biggest, the largest sack in NFL history that doesn't include a fumble. 
and still throws for like 400 yards. Tyreek Hill just gets open deep whenever he wants to. I mean, that team, that team is an absolute machine. And, uh, you know, Antonio, we should just mention it again. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The New England Patriots will not be going to the playoffs, which is just, it just warms my heart. Yeah, for me this week, I think the, the story really is, you know, you read off the records, you'll notice the Pittsburgh Steelers are not the number one seed in the AFC anymore. And uh, I, I think deserve. We've talked all season how they certainly did have have it looked as great. They pull a lot of these wins out, including both against the Ravens, unfortunately. But um, I don't think anything about the Bills beating them was surprising. Maybe Washington beating them was a little surprising, but this this was this was just they got beat, they got handled, and yeah, Roethlisberger threw a bad pick six, um, to kind of jumpstart the Bills. And I mean, st- I, I we speak I speak for everyone. We love Stefan Diggs on the show. Uh, uh, and for me, watching that game, the only the only negative I guess as a Ravens fan watching the Steelers lose in that one is you see how good Stefan Diggs. I think Josh Allen's made plenty of improvement in his own right, but how much Stefan Diggs helps him. And we've talked about how having DeAndre Hopkins has helped Kyler Murray. And I just want that for Lamar now. I want that guy. <laughs> the, the, the receiver who you have so much trust and faith with. Uh, I want that guy. We've, we've seen, you know, flashes of it in the past, back in, you know, the Anquan Bolden days, I'd say. He he had some takeover games there in stretches. But just the consistent guy, week in, week out, where you're like, I know what I'm getting, and he can just take over the game. Because watching Stefan Diggs in that second half was incredible. He just seemed like he was open every single play. And Allen was able to get him the ball. And they, they ripped apart the Steelers. It was great. And so, I you said it with the Chiefs, Tim. I mean... 12 and one and they haven't even looked like they've like played all that great no. in half these games they keep i keep betting on them and we'll do it a spoiler going to do it again in the gambling section this week but <laughs> they keep not covering but that's a, like 12 and one i mean they're they're it's hard to imagine anyone beating them in january so just just real quickly too on pittsburgh and i just want to say they faced a lot of injuries on the defensive side as well so i understand that um but, yeah, like you said, they got handled by the Bills. I don't think 26-15 even does it justice for watching that game. And it sounds like a cliche, but you know one thing that I feel super confident that the Ravens can do that the Steelers just cannot do is run the football and control the clock in close games. They had 17 attempts for 47 yards. James Conner is not a starting running back in this league. Benny Snell and and Samuels as well. Like, just there's nothing there that scares you. Um, And they're one of the worst teams in the league at running the football, and that's really going to hurt them. The other thing I should say, in terms of this playoff picture, there was another massive game in the AFC uh, playoff picture, and that was the Colts-Raiders. And a couple weeks ago, I said the Raiders might have a chance. Well, I was wrong. Uh, I think they're kind of <laughs> done, and they've showed themselves to be frauds. I think their Super Bowl was that win over Kansas City, and they've they've been flustered a little bit ever since then. And the Colts heating up. T.Y. Hilton, man, it, like showing up with Phillip Rivers. I'm still not scared of the Colts, but they make themselves nine and four. Uh, you know, along with the Browns, uh, I believe the the Dolphins. Yes, are eight and five as are the Ravens. So those are kind of your four teams for two slots i think if i'm doing the math right there yeah four four of those teams for two of those slots so 
massive win for Indianapolis to, to cement themselves into the playoff picture. And yeah, that's that's good by Vegas. Yeah, of course, the one team that the Chiefs have had problems with twice won't make the playoffs uh, to even have a chance <laughs> to have that tough third game. Um, look, I, I, it's it's time. Uh, it's that time of year where the NFL playoff machine gets brought out. The ESPN generator, uh, where if the listener doesn't know what this is, ESPN has this uh, basically a calculator where you can predict the results of the remaining games, and it just shows you a tally of what the playoff picture looks like based on each result. It is a whale of a way to uh, just waste time. Um, but there are scenarios at the moment, and we talk. We've talked about Pittsburgh. We've talked about Cleveland. Tim, I you're, I agree with you. I, I would love, just say it again, that the Steelers are absolute frauds because there is a scenario where the Ravens as a six seed at 11-5 and five and the Steelers going 2-1. Uh, and one. If they lose one game and end the season at 13-3, and three, there's a scenario that the Ravens as a six seed play Pittsburgh as a three seed. Um, and you I have to go it. into Pittsburgh to be fair, but... After the two games we've seen of the playoff teams, like of the three teams that you'd have to face, likely the Bills, the Steelers, or the Titans, which is kind of looking like it may be that, maybe even the Colts, depending. I would enjoy a third game against Pittsburgh, especially when we've already lost two of those games. You know what's really hard to do in the NFL? Is beat a team three times in a row, especially when they are a good team. So the Ravens traveling to Pittsburgh for the first round of the playoffs would be intriguing as hell. And then the other thing that's fun to figure out is that the Cleveland Browns, this is my spiciest, hottest take of the month of December, there is a scenario where the Cleveland Browns do not make the postseason, and it is not as difficult as you would expect. They have what is basically a must-win game against the Giants. If they lose to the Giants, they have to play the Steelers in Week 17. If they lose to the Steelers, which I think we would all predict at this point, based on how those two teams have looked head-to-head for the past millennia, the Browns. Could, there are scenarios where the Browns go 1-2, and two, lose to the Giants and Steelers. I'm not going to run through every single scenario, but it's not like you know upsets need to happen all over the place. It's like a couple of games here and there, and the Cleveland Browns could lose a tiebreaker and be out of the postseason, which would be the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. So the test for them now is this Giants game, a good defensive team that I think would have been maybe a hotter upset pick had the Giants not had a real struggle against the Arizona Cardinals this past weekend. But that's a Giants team that is better, that had won a bunch of games in a row before that Cardinals game. And if the Giants D is able to stifle the running backs of Cleveland in the first half of that game, I don't know if Baker Mayfield is the guy to... uh, to, to lead them late. So I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. We will be back next week to talk about what <laughs> happened in that Browns-Giants game and, and go through maybe more specific situations of how the Browns could still miss the playoffs, even though they're at a certain point of the year they were 9-3. and three. But we will see. We will see. In the NFC, unless you guys, anything else on the AFC before I turn? Uh... Um, simply, I'm aroused at the... <laughs> The prospect of Cleveland being uh, knocked off, as it were, and out of the playoffs. Uh, but no, outside. Oh, I should mention, and this kind of ties into our preview, so I will just mention it briefly. Derrick Henry is starting to figure out that, hey, it's late in the season and people hate tackling me now. 
um, just stomped the Jaguars again, and he's rounding into form, which is which is horrifying. <laughs> In the NFC division leaders, let me start at the top: the Washington Football Team at six and seven. Then there's the Green Bay Packers at ten and three, currently holding on to that number one seed. Uh, in a tiebreaker over the New Orleans Saints, who finally lost a game after winning seemingly for two months straight. The Saints also 10-3, but lost to the Packers heads up, so Green Bay has that tiebreaker. And then the L.A. Rams at 9-4. and four. So those are the four top seeds at the moment in the NFC, followed by the Minnesota Vikings at 6-7, and seven. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 8-5, and five. the Seattle Seahawks are 9-4, and four. And the Arizona Cardinals at seven and six. The NFC maybe looks a little bit more clear cut, um, specifically with Arizona bouncing back and, and getting up to seven and six. They're looking to be a playoff team along with the Seahawks and the Bucks as wild cards. So, uh, excuse me, Minnesota six and seven. Do they have a chance? Is there still a situation here where they catch the Arizona Cardinals at seven and six? And then in theory, in the NFC East, the uh, New York football giants are just one game behind Washington. So what the heck goes on in the NFC East guys thoughts on the NFC? Oh, the NFC East. I love the NFC East. Uh, I've decided uh, somehow Washington's like, I don't know why we should say he was forced from this game, but uh, Alex Smith just wins games. His stats are never that impressive. uh, But he, I read on Twitter uh, and I'm I'm just saying it because who needs verification? But I read he's ten and two now as Washington starter over the course of the 2018 season and <laughs> this season. It's completely baffling. But we we kind of envisioned this, I think, when he was drafted. But it, it certainly came to fruition this week and in recent weeks. Chase Young is terrifying. <laughs> he is incredible to watch and. I'm not saying that Washington's going to win a playoff game, but they're going to keep it interesting if Dwayne Haskins is not the starter. <laughs> that's kind of the big thing. Yeah, that's the big thing. And real quickly, before we get into more of the NFC, we should note they have a game against the Seahawks this coming weekend, which is so big. If they can get anything from that, would be a huge boost. But your final Week 17 matchups are Washington at Philly and Dallas at New York the Giants and you figure New York and Washington will be the two teams kind of fighting for that one playoff spot and there's going to be some scoreboard watching there I think I think it's going to come down the NFC beast is going to come down to the final uh, final weekend which should be interesting yeah Arizona is such a question mark for me even though they're seven and six they, they have to play the Eagles next week and I don't know if the Eagles are good or mediocre or terrible or what the situation is there then they play the 49ers, and then they travel to play the Rams. This is an inconsistent team that could, in theory, lose out, and it wouldn't be the, the craziest. You know, none of those losses would sort of be unbelievable. Um, I, I tend to think a lot of times this stuff sort of splits somewhere down the middle, um, and if Arizona can take one of those games, they probably have a playoff spot. Tampa Bay as another team where I don't know, are they good, are they bad, Um they beat the Vikings this week by 12 points, but that's a game that they probably should have won by 12 points. I think the line was like six and a half, seven. So it's the NFC is, is tighter, is, is strange. Um, but we will see what happens as the games play out. That's how you get more and more information as the games play out. But all right, um, 
unless you guys have any other thoughts on the NFL, we are going to move now to the Random Raven. And I am up this week, and uh, it's a bit of a doozy, but I, I think you guys will get there before the clues are all read out. So just don't get mad at me after the first clue. Give it a chance. <clears throat> one season. This Random Raven played one season with the team. <laughs> <laughs> in 2017 though tim so it's pretty it's somewhat recent one season with the team 2017 he was signed to fill the gap of third down receiving running back which the ravens had struggled to fill since cutting ray rice after the 2013 season after starting week one catching three passes for 33 yards in a promising 20 to nothing win versus the Bengals. He would miss the next eight games due to injury. He came back to play the last six games, finishing with 33 catches for 200 yards and 14 rushing attempts for 56 yards. He wore the number 39, and in his NFL career, he played for the New York Jets, the New England Patriots, and most notably, the San Diego Chargers. After the Ravens' 2017 season, he never played in the NFL again. And that is my random Raven for the week. It's a tough one, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you gotta dig deep. We have a, we've gone through a lot of names on this episode, on this podcast, I should say. So sometimes you gotta, you gotta dig a little bit, but... Um, I'll read through these clues again, and if uh, if there's still some puzzlement, maybe I'll add another clue at the end. I think I have it, but, uh, yeah, it's a doozy if it's who I think it is. <laughs> I can't think of any Ravens player that's ever worn the number 39. Uh, and you said, just to reiterate for, for the listeners, but mainly me, the San Diego Chargers is the most important team or the most prominent team there of former teams? I, I would say yes. I mean, maybe it's a toss-up between the Pats and the Chargers, but I still think once I say the name, you'll be like, oh, yeah, like Chargers for sure. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I have no idea. So maybe in these next 20 minutes or so, it'll <laughs> pop into my head. But, all right. All right. With that, we're going to move now to the preview of the Ravens back at the bank against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Ravens are 13 and a half point favorites against the 1 and 12 Jaguars. Minshew Mania officially back. Uh, he came into the Jaguars game last week against the Titans, uh, spelling Mike Glennon, who didn't win games, but was maybe a little <laughs> bit frisky in the like two or three games that he was in for that team. Um, but officially, Gardner Minshew II will be starting this game. Uh, guys, so we'll start with the Ravens offense first, as, as we usually do. What do the Ravens, I mean, obviously this is, you know, another one of the get right games. This is step one in, in the three games that should be very, very winnable for the Ravens. Uh, they will probably be, I want to think, t uh, double digit favorites in all three of these games. Maybe not the Giants game, but that'll be very close to 10, if not 10. But starting with the Jags. Step one here of the road to the playoffs for the Ravens. What do they need to do offensively against a very bad team to have? I mean, maybe success to win is like not even a fair question. How about success to cover? Success where they are absolutely in control of this game from start to finish. 
Well, the Jaguars are the fifth worst team in the NFL when it comes to yards per rushing attempt. They give up 4.6 yards per rushing attempt. You know what that tells me? Run the ball. Run the ball. Just over and over and over again. Wear them down. No Minshew mania or Jace Evans playing quarterback, whoever it is. I can't even tell anymore at this point based on Jace's new hairstyle. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. This this doesn't become a trap game if you play like the Ravens did last year, where you looked at the team across the field and went, <laughs> okay, we're not even playing the same sport. That is what needs to happen. Heavy dose of J.K. Dobbins, a lot of Gus Bus, a little bit of Lamar mixed in as well when he needs it. And then, hey, throw Mark Ingram a bone, because who doesn't love that guy in the locker room? It's that simple. For me, they they can't stop the run. So you know what? It's the thing you do best. Let the big boys eat up front and make this game over. Uh, you know, by the time we get to halftime. Yeah, I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, uh, and then just echo Tim. But yeah, the Jags thirtieth uh, in defensive rush yards against a game because they are often down and teams are often running on them. So not only do they give up a lot per rush, they just give up a lot of total yards. Uh, and they're also bad against the pass. They're 28th in pass yards against a get per game. So it certainly seems like the Ravens should have their way uh, on offense, but I agree with Tim. The key to covering this spread, winning this game easily, is just keep running the ball. And I think they're probably not going to, especially if there are any lingering defensive issues, um, I think, you know, uh, just... Don't make it a question. Just keep the ball away from Minshew. He can be weirdly frisky at times. Um, just keep the ball away from him. Just pound the rock. And, uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I don't want to say make it sound too simple, but I think you'll be good if you just run the ball well. But to Tim's point, th- this series can strangely with the Jaguars. Now, these have been very different teams. The Ravens have not actually played them. Uh, since 2017 due to a lot of the Jags finishing last and the Ravens not doing that. But uh, some very weird scores over the years. Their last five games are 12-7 Jags, 20-12 Ravens, 22-20 Jags, 19-17 Ravens, and then, of course, the infamous 44-7 loss at, I believe, Wembley Stadium in London (laughs) to the Jaguars by the Ravens. but that aside, yeah, the series can have very weird games, but the Jags are really bad. The Ravens are a lot better than all those teams I just mentioned to you from 2011 to 2017 that managed uh, to trap game against the Jags and Flacco-led uh, teams. So I think they'll run the ball, keep things simple, and I think have a pretty good day on offense. The Jaguars. I mean, you guys both, you said individual numbers. I'll just put it together because it is bad. Jaguars yards allowed 425 yards allowed per game. That sounds good to me. I mean, let's just get the average and that will be a gigantic win for the Ravens. If if that's what the number looks like defensively guys, this is, it's not only a get right game, but it's a, maybe a couple of X Jags get right game on the defensive side. Uh, what are the opportunities here for Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, and the Ravens unit against the Jags offensively. Yeah, I, th- I mean, that's that's a great point. I honestly didn't even think about the Jacksonville kind of redemption thing. Obviously, Ngakwe's um, relationship with the Jaguars front office was less than good uh, by the time he left and went to Minnesota briefly before coming to Baltimore, so I think he'll have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Honestly, for Calais Campbell, it's a are-you-healthy-enough-to-play type game for me. Um, 
But you kind of nail it, Antonio. It is very, very much about this team kind of cementing themselves and being hungry. Like, this is another reason I don't think this is a trap game. Because on the defensive side of the ball, they need to be hungry to come out and respond to a woeful showing in prime time. Um, and from, and the one guy to look out for is James Robinson, the undrafted rookie running back for the Jaguars, who uh, last Sunday became the had broke the record for most yards from scrimmage of any undrafted rookie in league history. Dominic Rhodes was the man to do that before uh, Robinson, uh, with only 13 games under his belt. This comes from the article from CBS Sports when he did it. He has 1,361 yards from scrimmage already in 13 games. He is their offense. Key on him. Slow him down. And in a game that, you know what, maybe you're up big early, maybe we'll see some different stuff from Wink in terms of not sending seven, eight, you know, anywhere from five to eight, I should say, every single down. Maybe trying some different things on the defensive side of the ball. Um, to really throw some different things at Gardner Minshew because, you know, we kind of talked about it. The Browns, much better team, obviously, but they found out the defense, and you need to respond. Not only, The players only, only need to respond to that, but Wink Martindale and his coaching staff need to as well. It, it's interesting you say with the, the getting right, perhaps, with Campbell and uh, Ngakwe and getting some sacks because with Gardner Minshew back in the game, I was you examine uh, the sacks. He has been sacked... Uh, Minshew was sacked 22 times in eight games. And then in the rest of their games, so the other five, uh, the Jags have given up, let's see here, seven, eight, nine, ten sacks in five games. So, and somehow one was James Robinson getting sacked. I don't know if they tried to to do a double pass and he got sacked or what's going on there. That's a fascinating wrinkle. But uh, that to me says Gardner Minshew holds on to the ball a bit long and he it's funny because i think his persona people think of him as this big gunslinger he's really not he's very he's usually pretty careful with the ball certainly compared to their other uh quarterbacks um but he gets sacked a lot he doesn't take that many chances downfield his arm's not that strong uh i think you don't want to you know be too risky and just expose things unnecessarily because i think Minshew is at least a little better than some of their other options in terms of, as I said, uh, minimizing mistakes. But I think, you know, they should still, you nailed it, Tim. If they can slow Robinson down, I think they just have like nothing. There are no real receivers that scare you. No real, their line's kind of a mess. Uh, They need a lot of help in a lot of areas. And I... I just don't see them finding enough offensive success to win this game. If the Ravens come in, you know, with a fresh mentality, kind of flush last game a little bit and, uh, you know, take the opponent seriously, I think in a lot of ways. Because like you said, these are NFL teams. Gardner Minshew beat some teams last year. Beat the Colts in week one, which is looking like an increasingly head-scratching game. Uh, But... He can be frisky, and you just have to shut that down. You can't allow him to kind of get any momentum going. Yeah, I mean, Jace, the team is 1-12, right? Like, they, they right. don't have talent <laughs> all over the field, and they're terrible. But the, the the scariest thing for me in this game really has nothing to do with Jacksonville. It has to do with the Ravens playing now their fourth straight game on short rest. 
or is it three straight games? No, one, two, three. This will be the fourth game that they played. I mean, t- technically they had more days to play the Steelers, but they also that was because they didn't have any human yeah. beings to play on the on didn't the team practice. at that point. <laughs> so I would call that an abnormal uh, week of practice and facing a team, and then every other game is short rest. And this is another; it'll be another week of six days from game to game. And will the defense be exhausted? That that's really my biggest concern here, especially if it's another situation where the Jaguars somehow have more time of possession to start this game. The the Ravens, the one thing they did not, well, I shouldn't say the one thing, but they did not win the time of possession battle against the Browns, even though they were scoring on a lot of their drives. Cleveland had more time of possession, and that's that showed basically on those last few drives where the Ravens seemingly had no interest in tackling anybody to end that game. So the, the tiniest concern is if this game is close-ish late, and the Ravens' defense starts getting tired quicker than you would like them to, and they can't tackle and they can't rush the passer. But I just don't see that happening. There's just not enough on either side of the ball for the Jaguars to make this competitive. I am taking the Ravens in this game uh, at 13.5 points, and I think the Ravens don't lose for the rest of the regular season, uh, and I will probably be picking them the next three weeks, barring some disasters. But starting with the Jags here at home, Minus 13.5. I think they just take control of this game early, and it ends up one of those familiar 35-14 to 14 type, type wins for the Ravens. I, too, am picking them to cover for similar reasons. I think, not that teams tank, but as you said, the Jags are 1-12. I think everyone on this season knows the coaches are getting fired after the year. They know. I believe they already fired, actually, the GM in the middle of the season. Um so they know it's a full house cleaning. They know it's a lost season. And they know a lot of them aren't going to be there next year. And why should they, get, you know, put too much invested this season? So I think the Jags are probably fairly checked out. They know they're getting the top three pick. Um, and so, yeah, I think the Ravens cover that spread too. Because I, I, think, I think we've seen in the Lamar era, the letdown doesn't really happen as much as it used to. Um, and... Um, I think that's credit to, you know, John Harbaugh, Lamar Jackson, but I think they'll come prepared. I think Lamar, as we said, has been playing, seemingly returning to MVP mode the last two day games, especially on the ground. I think it's going to give the Jags too many problems. So I have them covering. Tim? <laughs> Tim? <laughs> I can't, in good confidence, watch what that defense did on Monday night and pick them as a double-digit favorite. Um, I just can't. I know it's the Jaguars. I know. I get it. I know it's the Cleveland offense is good, although I, I'm still – it's taking a lot to accept that Cleveland has a good football team now. I know. Just – I just can't – I can't do it. And it's against all logic. I understand that. But I'm picking Jags plus 13.5. I'm obviously picking a Ravens win, and it could be – 10 11 12 or 13 points but i just think there's something there with that defense man that you know they don't have anything to prove to me but like prove it prove that you can shut this team down when you should and then you know let's get both sides of the ball playing a great game you know i feel like we haven't seen that in a while uh (laughs) and and because of that even though they are so so bad i'm picking jags plus 13 and a half ravens to win if i may jags Six of their 12 losses have been one-score losses. They are one in six in one-score games this season. So, I, you know, I don't 
I don't fault you for that pick, but that would be... Uh, I don't know if my heart can take that kind of game after the last few weeks of, of Baltimore football. Oh, God, I mean, I'm going to be a wreck watching it. But <laughs> I think it'll, it'll be a little closer than we want it to be, and we'll come on here complaining about you know, Ngakwe not getting any sacks again for the, I don't know, umpteenth week in a row. Uh, just real quickly, I'll go with my other picks as well. Um, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I picked Kansas City... They should have beaten Miami by more, but it was only minus. Uh, it was a minus seven game. They won by six. That being said, KC minus three away to New Orleans. It is probably the game of the week here. Taysom Hill. I don't get it. I've never gotten it, and it's proving <laughs> itself to be ungettable. And Drew Brees is maybe coming back, but they still don't know. So because of that, give me KC minus three. And like Jay said, in a game that maybe they finally go, oh, yeah, you know what? If people are still doubting us, let's remind them. Because they haven't, even though they're 12-1, and 1, it's that we haven't seen like the complete, complete stomping of a team, which we could see against New Orleans, who does have a good defense. Um, and then my other pick, the team they played last week. I'm going to pick Miami, minus 2.5, at home to New England. The witch is dead. They have nothing to play for anymore. And Miami needs to keep winning. I think Brian Flores, I know Belichick does great against his assistants, but I think Flores is a different uh, beast than anybody like Matt Patricia or Charlie Weiss or Romeo Cornell or what have you in the list of diabolical people from Belichick's coaching tree. Eric Mangini. <laughs> Thank you, Eric Mangini, another one. How could I forget? So I the think Mangini's himself? That's right. I think Flores will have them ready to go, so I'm going to go Miami minus two and a half uh, at home to New England. New England... And this is the Brady era and stuff, and obviously they were very dominant, but they usually struggled in Miami too. So maybe some of that would carry over as well. I am also going with the Chiefs. Very similar reasons for Tim. I just do not get Taysom Hill. I mean, I thought they like they fall behind 17 nothing to a very bad Eagles team. I don't care that Jalen Hurts was playing. <laughs> 17 nothing uh, is inexcusable. And it's just not enough points. I think the Chiefs rise in these big games. I think they rise to their level of competition and have over the last several years. And I think they're going to be probably out to prove a point. And I just don't know, like, is Taysom Hill keeping pace with Patrick Mahomes? I'd be absolutely stunned if if he plays and this game is remotely all that close. Uh, And then the other one I am choosing is I am taking the Buffalo Bills, who we talked about, at uh, minus six and a half against... The Denver Broncos. I know I probably bet against the Broncos a lot, but I think they're a bad team. Drew Locke throws people off the set with these random four touchdown games every so often. They did it again against the Panthers uh, on Sunday. Um, and I just, I watched, the, I was so impressed with Buffalo in that Steelers game. And I just think they're so much better than the Broncos that, you know, seven points. I, I'm very comfortable with that. Um, even on the road in Denver. Yeah, so to recap last week quickly, I went 2-1. and one. I am 22-13 and 13 overall on the season. I'm keeping that overall number for the rest of the year for you guys to uh, try to give a little clout to uh, to my picks for the year. Um, my one loss is was on the teaser. I'm, I've struggled with my teasers the last few weeks every single time with one of the games sabotaging me somewhere. So... I'm doing the three picks this week, just straight up. We're not teasing anything. We're not teasing anybody. We're just doing straight game picks. Um, As I mentioned, the Ravens minus 13 and a half. I'm taking KC as well. This is the rare, uh, just 
uh, agreed upon pick here on Pod Like a Raven, where all three of us have, have sort of picked out this game. Casey is going to love playing in a dome, and they are going to get so many points playing in a dome. I don't. They're already unguardable. Tariq Hill does things every single week where it just seems like he has no business being open or getting by people, and he does. Them indoors is going to be, I think, way too much for the Saints, as you guys have mentioned. And then, although Pittsburgh are frauds uh, as a playoff team, you know who's a fraud NFL team? The Cincinnati Bengals. They are horrendous. (laughs) They have nothing left. Uh, Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley, I don't care who's playing quarterback. They're very, very bad. They, don't, they do not have Joe Mixon. He has been out for, for, I think, over a month or two now, and he is not expected to play in this game. If Joe Mixon does not play, which is not confirmed, but but I think very likely, um, I'm taking Pittsburgh at minus 12.5 against Cincinnati. This is uh, the Steelers' like quote-unquote get-right game, where then they think that everything is, is solved and they're back on the right track, when they really aren't. They're just playing a, a JV college football team in the Cincinnati Bengals who have nothing to play for uh, except draft position um, and no stars anywhere on the field. So those are my three picks this week. Um, And with that, I'm going to read off my random Raven clues one more time, and then we're going to get on out of here. So Tim, this random Raven played one season with the team, and that was in 2017. He was signed to fill the gap of third down receiving running back which led, which the Ravens had struggled to fill since cutting Ray Rice after the 2013 season. After starting Week One, catching three passes for 33 yards in a promising 20 to nothing win versus the Bengals, he would miss the next eight games due to injury. He came back to play the last six games, finishing with 33 catches for 200 yards and 14 rushing attempts for 56 yards. He wore the number 39 and played for the New York Jets, the New England Patriots, and most notably, the San Diego Chargers in his NFL career. After the Ravens season in 2017, he never played in the NFL again. And who is this random Raven? I, I will turn to Jace here, unless Tim has uh, has cooked something up in the last 20 minutes. No, I, I, it's it, racking my brain here. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be kicking myself. Oh, you will, because uh, I believe this to be uh, the one, the only, Danny Woodhead. Oh, my God. It is Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead. (laughs) Danny Woodhead, who had uh, 33 catches and only 14 rushing attempts for the Ravens as a running back, which is just so Danny Woodhead. Honestly, more involved than I remember him being, and also much more recently. I could have sworn he was on the Danny Woodhead was on, like, the 2014 or 2015 Ravens. I did not have... Any recollection of it being that recent. <laughs> he was going to be like a legitimately, and this says more about the offense than it does Danny Woodhead, big part of that Ravens offense after that week one. We're all steamed up. Joe loves checking it down. He's the guy on third and four that's going to get us the five. Let's go, Danny Woodhead. And then he immediately gets injured. He and that was, was the, end the perfect puzzle piece for what the Ravens offense was and what Joe Flacco's game was, where if he wasn't bombing it deep, it was a check down. But yeah, after that one game, he was injured late in that game. He like pulled a hamstring or something late in that game and then would miss the next two months with said injury. And then, the, you know, the, the Ravens 2017 season was, let's just say, one to one to forget. Um, but that is Danny Woodhead as the random Raven for the week. Uh, guys, it was a pleasure this week. 
we talked last week, all three of us had like this thin optimism. Uh, all, all of us picking the, the Ravens to beat the Browns mostly on optimism rather than on uh, X's and O's. And it was a fun uh, episode to, to recap after one of the most bananas games, certainly of the NFL season and of the last several years in Ravens football. So we will be back next week to talk about what is hopefully a much more comfortable win for the Ravens as they continue on the path to the playoffs. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.